Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is episode number 46 with our guest, Kathy Anello. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey there, thanks for joining us and tuning in. Welcome right into the studio. You're tuned directly into The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. I'm gonna tell you right up front that this episode is going deep. If, if you think our shows in the past have gone deep before, this is wonderfully going deeper. What do I mean? Well, if someone told you you only had six months to live, what would you do differently? That question is going to be the basis and theme of our show, and I love it. And by the way, we're not looking to answer that question generally, like I'd live with passion or I'd follow my dreams. While those are good, broad starting points, this conversation might make you uncomfortable only because it'll force you to get comfortable and face-to-face with your own mortality. And that's a good thing. Some years ago, I came across a profound question that has stuck with me ever since. The question was, if you were told that you had a terminal illness, what would you do differently? The profound follow-up to that question is, well, you do have a terminal illness. It's called life, right? You get it? No matter how we slice it, our lives will end. How we choose to spend our seemingly very short time on earth is up to us. Our guest today is author, writer, and certified healing intuitive, Kathy Anello. Kathy's story is very inspiring, having lost everything in her life due to a divorce and a house fire while also being faced with the looming fate of a very close family member who had been diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma and began the fight of his life to stay alive, all of which helped her awaken and begin to ponder whom and what the most important things in life were. Let's get right to this. Please help me welcome my guest. It's Kathy Anello. How's it going, Kathy? Going good. Great to hear. So, like I said, n- no secret, I, I can sink my teeth into all of this, and uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here. Your book, you're the author of the book, Six Months to Live, 
fantastic title. Now, if I understand things correctly, this is not about your diagnosis of anything where you were diagnosed six months to live, right? That's exactly right. It's a little misleading for people sometimes. They'll be like, oh my God, are you okay? But it it was really just based on um, that even though I didn't have a terminal illness, I was really living a very unfulfilled life. And I really felt sick all the time because of it. Physically sick. Just, yeah, at the end, physically sick, for sure. I, I, I got to tell you what I, what I adore about the book. Reading the table of contents gave me the chills because mm-hmm. I, I love the way you set it up. It's, the title is Six Months to Live, Genius, brilliant. You set up each section, month one, month two, month three, etc. And then each chapter is week one, week two, week three, week four of that month. How magnificent, how incredible. How did that structure come about? <laughs> I love this question. Uh, what really happened for me was that I had been journaling a lot during that time. And so when I was decided that I really had a message to share with more than just myself on, on my own little private, you know, journey that I could actually probably help people, I started to put a book together and it osmosisly became, this is what happened this week. This is what happened to me that week. And so while I was discovering myself, it really was over a week by week process I was really blessed to have the time to do it because a lot of us don't get that time. And I took advantage of that. So that's really how it came about. And then when I was doing it, I was like, well, that I wanted someone to be able to say forgiveness. I just am going there today and I'm just going to read about that and not have it be a book where it kind of like blended all the way through, but it was one where you could just pick it up and work on that one thing that I worked on in that one week. Yeah. Now, now, first of all, if you look on Amazon, you have a, um, a, a near perfect five-star rating, uh, mm, 20, yeah. 20 reviews, very impressive. And again, no accident, no secret. If you are into this kind of stuff where, what is it? Am I saying it right? Who's it for? It's just for the people that are ready, willing, and able to what? You know, it's interesting because I did have somebody the other day tell me I'm perfectly happy in my life. And I said, this is not the book for you. Because if you're living the life that you want to live and you're living the life that feels, makes you feel alive every day, this isn't the book for you in the sense that um, you're doing it. But it's the book for somebody who is dreading getting out of bed every day and going to their job not feeling fulfilled in their romantic relationships, not talking to their family members because of something that happened 20 years ago. Like those people who have that baggage that they're carrying around, that's who this book is for. Because what happens is once you answer the questions that I give, like you can't unring the bell. You can't go back and say, I love this job. You can't go back and say, I want to stay in this relationship. And you certainly can't say, what if my family member died and I didn't make amends? Like those things just don't, like you were talking, like osmosisly, when you ask yourself these questions, something turns on in your brain and you're like, yeah, I got to make this right. I got to feel in alignment. I've got to feel right. And that's what happened to me. I loved um, how you, you pointed out that you can read it page by page, month by month, week by week, linear, but you can also crack it open and see what you want to work on. Because yeah. what I love is that each chapter, 
which is broken down into a week topic, each chapter ends with questions to ponder. And you have like a dozen or so of these just no nonsense, like sit quietly alone, perhaps with a journal and, and ask yourself these questions. I do want to perhaps beg to differ about, you said somebody told you recently that they're happy in their lives or their life. And this, you said, well, this book might not be for you. And then as you started breaking down the different areas of all of our lives, we have, we have, uh, you know, are we happy in our work? Are we happy in our relationships intimately and socially? Are we happy with family? Are we happy with our role as a parent or a child or whatever it is? Yeah. I can't imagine that somebody, including that person who said, I'm happy, I'm not going to read this book. I can't imagine that, that, that maybe finances is just itching them a little bit, or maybe they just wish they were a little more intimate or connected or vulnerable or something. So I'm just saying it's literally, it is for everybody. I love that. You're so cute. That is so true. But it is true. Cause at first I was like, Oh yeah, you're right. And then, you know, I'm, I'm fulfilled in my work, but there's always more fulfillment that I can feel, that I can experience. I don't claim to know everything and be on the perfect path. Um, I, I, I feel like I'm on a good uh, path in as, as a father, but there's always more that I want to. So your book, I think that that's the answer for anybody who, is, who just wants to approach the inevitable. Because what I said in the intro that this isn't about if you had six months to live, yeah, well, I'm just going to follow my dreams, right? It goes much deeper than that, right? It's about what? Oh, boy. It's really about, un I kind of call it unpeeling the onion, you know, like taking off those layers of things that you sort of cover your true feelings with and survive and tolerate and put up with and, you know, get through the day. Like for me, it's, it wasn't even about dreams. I never thought, oh, I'll publish a book and I'll get famous and I'll get rich. I'm certainly not getting rich. But I, I, I did it because I needed to get to the core person before I died. Like for me, my mother died when she was 65. My grandmother died when she was 58. I'm reaching, I'm not there, but I'm reaching there. And I thought to myself, what if I only had like eight more years or 10 more years to live here and I hadn't gotten to that core, Kathy, and I hadn't felt that joyous feeling because it, it had been a long time since I had a joy jump, which is one of the chapters, but it, a joy jump for me is like when that butterflies come in your stomach and you're just like, this is like so great, you know, and you feel alive in a joyous moment. And they're fleeting because you can't sit in joy much longer than a fleeting moment. And honestly, like you can be in a joyous wedding or you can, you know, be at a party and feel happy for a couple hours. But that core joy is that feeling that makes you know you're alive and you're right where you're supposed to be. And so for me, I wasn't having those feelings and I was conscious enough to know that it was what I desired. So I think for me, it's about not just living a dream and writing a book and doing podcasts or being successful in my business. It's about how I feel. Who makes me feel alive? Who am I surrounding myself? Who's bringing me down? Like just dissecting it. And it was such a great time in my life to do that. And even since the book, because the book was written in you know, between 14 and 15, 2014 and 15 was when I was going through all that. But for me, um, and now, eight, four years later, my life is completely different than it was when I wrote that book. 
And I had to take some steps backwards and reread my own lectures, you know, so to speak. But I'm really in a place now where I've never been happier. Even though I've had a lot of chaos this year, it's, I've never been happier. And, and it shows, and it's wonderful. Is this about, because I know stereotypically, which stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason, none of us want to be on our deathbed looking back in regret. Oh, I should have. Why didn't I? I wish I did. Is, in simple terms, is that what this is about, to make sure that that doesn't happen? Well, there's a great book by Bonnie Ware called The Five Top Regrets of the Dying. I don't know if anybody hasn't read that book. I highly recommend it. It was very pivotal for me when I read it during this time. Um, and one of their biggest regrets were I worked, you know, instead of played. I neglected my family instead of I, you know, those types of things. So I think that you have to go back to if I died, what would I regret? And why in the, excuse my language, F, wouldn't I do that right now? Like what would be holding me back? Because those people that are laying on their deathbed with hospice don't even get the chance to do that because it's too late. And so this lady, Bonnie Rare, she was a social worker and she worked with these people and she started getting their stories at the end of their life of how they were very regretful about many things. And so I think my theory is just like, oh my God, like do it now. Tell them now, do it now, be there now, go there now. Because like, especially in 2018, we have seen calamity that is beyond what our brains could even imagine. Like, I don't know if oh, you're on the East Coast, but in, the, in Northern California and Southern California, we have been hit by wildfires so bad that have taken towns out in a second. And... Hmm. So for, for me, and then seeing like mudslides and tornadoes and hurricanes and watching a lot of people, shootings, you know, things that have happened that you go out that night to go to a bar and you get a phone call that your, your person didn't make it. And so this has been a year where that has never been more prevalent. I, I've seen it on, and I don't even watch the news, but I, I really don't. But uh, so I think for me in this year and now, this message is actually even more important than it was when I wrote it, you know, in 2015, because it's really clear now that, that our lives can be taken in a second, where three years ago, it was more uh, theoretical for me. Now I'm like, this is happening. Like, I watched it yesterday. You know, I heard about a person that I knew yesterday that burned up in a fire. I didn't know them well, but I knew them enough to go, oh my God, like, they were just trying to fight for their life to get out of their house, you know? What exactly is the message specifically that the book talks about, you said? The mess the, that my book talks about? Well, yeah, you said this message now is uh, oh, even more important. What is the is, message? I think it's, so, it's more important now that the message is that we don't have time. That time is an illusion. And if you think I'll call her next month or I'll send that letter to Auntie Jean and tell her how I feel at Christmas or, you know, whatever that is, like, you, no, you don't know that Christmas is going to be there. So if it's my message is if it's in your heart from the amends, from the job change, from the relationship change, if it's in your heart, follow it like right now, like why wait to live? That's really probably the biggest message is why are we waiting to live? 
I turned 44 this year, and for one reason or another, I felt life smacked me in the face, right? And I, and I needed to just step back and take a look. Something about that number, maybe because they're the same. It's sort of like uh, your car odometer. You never really notice the miles until, until you do, maybe if there's an accident or when it turns over to a nice, you know, clean digit, you notice it. So I took notice of my age this year. And I'm, I'm admitting to myself, first of all, on a good day, I got, I only have half my life, right? Like if I live to 88, I mean, no one's going to, you know, that, that's, that's great, right? So, okay, get to terms with that. So I had to realize, my goodness, all things being told, half, half over, half left, and that's best case scenario right? Best case scenario. And then also being a father, I have a, uh, an incredible five-year-old daughter, three-year-old son who have really become my everything. Who knew I would just enjoy and appreciate fatherhood this much. But I, I wasn't always in this relatively short amount of time um, the best example as a father. And that's when I realized, my goodness, these two small children have no choice but to look up at me for guidance, et cetera. So I would like to get it right, at least for their benefit, because they're going to learn by example. And I, I'd like to hear from you, why, why do you think we 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 wait or we don't take the action is it just that the inevitable end is such an esoteric thing that we we just can't grasp the now and the importance of it why do we wait fear bottom line fear we are too afraid to leave the job because of the money we're too afraid to leave the relationship because we don't want to be alone we're too afraid to reach out to somebody that we want to reach out for fear of rejection or fear of conflict that I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to answer to this. I don't want to explain myself. I would say the number one reason is fear. And I, I mean, I could come up with probably 10 more, but fear being the most important thing that we have to let go of. And I'm very guilty. Like I'm, you know, I could write this book a hundred times, but I'm still have my moments of fear. Like, should, is this the right thing? And so then it's fear and choice. So we have choices that once you make the choice, you don't know what the consequence is going to be. So you fear choice because of the consequence, whether it's a good consequence or a bad consequence. So I feel like fear and then getting out of fear and making the choice is what brings you to your best life. Even if the consequences are not what you wanted them to be, you've opened up the door to change your life towards what you want. And um, I just want to touch on one thing with you for the father thing. There's a chapter in the book called Children Will Not Remember Their Best Day of Television. And, uh, and I wrote that chapter because I had uh, a grandson who was three at the time I was writing this book and I was off work. And so I was able to like hang out with him every day and, and just be, uh, and every day he made me play. And he didn't want to sit and watch movies. We explored the countryside. We looked for the mean cat. We played hide and seek. We did things that I would never, I never even did probably with my own kids because I was too busy being a mom with, I have three kids. So that really struck me as that our job as parents, like you were talking, like being a dad, 
is to help and assist them in our play, which really lights us up at the same time when you can get down on the floor and just be there in that moment with them. Because that was what I really, when I was writing this chapter, I was like, that is what it is for a kid, is to play. And if you have an adult playing with you, like, you know, the bonus. So I just wanted to tell you that while the kid thing came up, because that was a really silly, small little chapter, but it was so important to me at the time. I love that. I, I love that you shared that. I could easily see daily so many examples where I could easily, not now, Danica, scoot, Danica, I'm busy. Yeah. I'm busy. Not mm -hmm. now. Go ask your mother. Play with your brother. Here, sit in front. Easy. It's a choice. Those are all my choices, whether I admit it or not. What choices am I making? Right. And, and one thing that I, uh, I, I consciously on this entire topic became aware of somewhat recently was that I have committed myself to being present with both of my children as often as I can and making the best choice for myself because what I never want to happen, I'm very aware how fleeting life is and life could be. There's no, uh, sometimes we might not even know when it's going to end. We might not get uh, a pink slip to say, hey, here's when your time is up. It can just end at any given moment. And because of that knowledge, I think that that makes me a stronger person and a better father in that I never want a moment with my, ch with, with my children to be inevitably my last. and then regret Ugh. how yeah. I handled it. So I'm wow. like, okay, you know what? That's enough motivation to Danica wants to play. Yep. Nothing's more important. There is literally nothing is more important than me taking five, 10 or 20 minutes to be with her and play with her. Oh, it just makes me want to cry because the truth is if something happened to you or something happened to them, clear, cancel, delete, we don't put those thoughts out there. That is the most important thing that would have happened that day was that you played, you know, and because that's, and that's the thing is like when my mother passed away, we had a very rocky, turbulent relationship till the last years of her life, just cause I a sassy teenage girl and you know, I was very sassy at the time, but, uh, the moments that I spent with her at the end were so precious. And so like, it's in the book. I have a very good story about her last moments, but, uh, it's something that I am able to now never think about any discord, never think about any turbulence, just be like, wow, like I felt pure love energy with this woman who birthed me and, and was able to like, both of us were able to have these moments in the end of her life. And so for me, I always think that I just want the person that leaves me, the person I love to know how, I mean, I'll tell you, after I wrote this book, I never leave the people I love without saying love you. Like we feel like a crazy Kardashian episode, but we're always like, love you, love you. You know, we always like kiss, air kiss, love you. I'm that way too. But with every single person, my best friends, um, someone if I'm romantically involved with you, or if I, my, uh, my children, especially my brothers, my, my father on the phone, I, I always say, I love you mm. because I don't care. Like, that's what I want them to hear from me. If they say something happened to her today, they're like, yep. Last time I talked to her, she said, I love you. Like, that's what I want. And I, I do it. Like, I don't, I don't hold back. <laughs> me too. I'm, I, I'm there. I'll, I, I'm physical. I am physical. I guess yeah, me too. My, I'm a hugger. Yeah. 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 
I think, what is that? One of my love languages. I've never read the book, but I know that, <laughs> that, that it exists, right? Physical yeah, yeah. touch. Yeah, yeah, affection. Yeah. Uh, cuddling is my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> cuddling, right? Hey, it's a, uh, I think it's a physical need. My goodness, who doesn't need yeah, to right? I mean, there are some people that, you know, resist it. Um, I've, I've learned. <laughs> like, why? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, in my unhealthier years, naturally, yeah. I've, I've, I've attracted all of them to, you know, <laughs> continue and perpetuate my victimization. A whole other topic and perhaps yeah. episode. But another you get show, it. another day, right? Yeah. It all, it, it, it all ties in and makes sense. Um, if you don't mind, let's talk about um, those moments with your mother. I know that I read, and I'd love for you to expand on it. I know uh, you said that she passed when she was 65. Tell us, because I know that there's something intriguing about that day or, or, or that yeah, day. I, yeah, I would love to tell that story. And thank yeah. you for asking. Uh, so my mother was diagnosed with cancer in January of, I can't remember the year, 1999, maybe, whatever. Um, and she died on March 6th. So we literally had the diagnosis for six weeks. She was going in for the biopsy, completely packed her bag to come home, was completely coherent. And oh, I hope I can get through this story. Uh, and she went in, had the biopsy and they came out of the biopsy room and they said, yep, sorry, she's got 48 hours. When we were like, wait, what? You know, because like we, and then she, and she's in a coma. <laughs> so we were like, so when we even get to talk to her, she's in a coma, you're giving us 48 hours, like call somebody. So it was me and my father and one of my brothers and my brother, all of a sudden this man appeared in the doorway of the room. And he said, courage, you're going to have to have courage. And we were like, and then we walked. And then literally a minute later, my brother walked outside. He looked around the hallways of the hospital and we didn't see this person. And he asked the nurse, did you just see a man? And they didn't see him. And so um, we all sat and prayed that she would wake up. Just wake up so we can say, I love you. So she did. And within 48 hours, instead of dying, she woke up. And for five days, everybody she knew got to come and say goodbye to her and that loved her. And then at the very end, my brothers and father could not see her because you deteriorate when you have cancer. You know, you, you, you get purple and things happen and your body starts to deteriorate. And she started to lose consciousness a little bit at a time. So the last day, my brother and I, I looked at my brother and I said, look, I'm not leaving this hospital room until Monday. It was a Friday. And I said, I can't leave her here by herself. And you have a family. So if you want to go, and he said, no, I'm staying. So we were sitting there and I started to meditate and I started to see her in my eyes in, in an angelic realm of kind of white flowy with her head. And I was, had my eyes closed and all of a sudden I was like lifted and I looked at my brother and I said, she's letting go. And she took three breaths and died. And it was like, I was able to see, and I had always said to her in the last couple of days, I said, just give me actual proof that the other side exists. Move my mountain, send rosebuds through the sky sometime. Like that's what I want from you when you get over there. Like, I want to know that the other side exists. And when I saw her like that, and I felt the moment that she was going to die, 
like I knew that the other side exists. And my brother and I, instead of looking at her body after she died, we're like this, looking up. And we knew that the spirit that was in that body was now gone. We literally left the hospital within a minute after she died. We were like, okay, she's not here. I drove straight to my father's house, walked straight to the bar and drank a vodka grape, which was her signature drink. And at the time I didn't even drink. Like I'm not much of a drinker, but I, you know, socially, but I chugged this drink and everybody in the whole house is crying and I am higher than a kite on life walking on a cloud, like energetically high, like whatever I just experienced has got to be what heaven is like. It was such a trip. And the next day I had the physical letdown, the, the actual physical loss of her body and her, but not the day that she died. So it was really one of the most magical, horrible moments of my life. Wow. What does this mean? Um, your, your title of a certified healing intuitive. Is that in line with what you experienced with your well, mom? What, hap what happened, no, it really, I did that years later. What happened was I was um, very interested in sort of, I've always been a healer, like a healing touch, you know, and give a great massage and that kind of stuff. And, and people would always feel healed after being with me in that way. And so I just really just took a course you know, with uh, Hay House that, that certifies you. And so the title is just basically, I took a course with them. I got certified on how to bring forth my more psychic abilities and my intuitive. And I can, you know, do pull angel cards and get feels for people. And, and it's really the very smallest part of my life, but it, it's a title. So I threw it out <laughs> Well, smallest part perhaps, but I'm intrigued. Let's touch upon this for a minute. What is this, what is this term what does it mean? But more importantly, how does it, how does it translate from your point of view, intuitive? Knowing, simply knowing, like I, I get feelings and I know it, you know what I mean? Like I can see somebody and know they're going to be in my life. I can, you know, like if I just meet them, like I'll get an energetic pull or I can see my friend and know something's wrong right away. And I can even sometimes which I don't let myself do, but there are times when I can see things might happen or I'll feel it and I'll go, no, pull that thought back. And I'll try not to have those thoughts like of seeing things. So it's really just how in tune all of us are. We all have intuitive. And a lot of times we just ignore it. You know, we just were like, okay, well, whatever. But I don't ignore it unless it feels scary. And then I'll just say, I don't, I don't want to know. Like, I don't want to know that, you know? Um, so I think it's just a, a matter of me getting quiet and listening and allowing myself to be intuitive and trusting my gut instincts when they happen. And I feel everything in my stomach. Like my stomach is the barometer of my truth. Like the, if, if my stomach's telling me something, I know it's true. Like I, get, I just get the feeling like that my inner ink just goes, that's true. Whoop, that's happening. Yep. This is coming. Like, I don't know how I just know. I want to expand on something you said, and I'm glad you did, about that this is something we all have. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we're all born with this ability, but through life and through uh, reasons uh, externally or internally, we just, we just shut them down. But especially in, 
in business personally for for years i've considered myself someone who who can make good and accurate decisions based on my gut based on my yeah. gut feelings i trust my gut i trust my intuition is is what i say and i think that that's a step in the right direction is as far as what you're saying right yeah and 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 you know when you were saying in business i'm thinking i knew I was in the wrong place when I was like, I knew when I was being verbally abused that it was wrong. I knew that uh, I should walk out the door, but I still, so, so I, so, so here's what we do. We know it. We know it deep in our gut, but we don't act on it. And that all that does is just delay the process because the fact is the truth is the truth. So you can delay it for one year, five years, 10 years, but the truth's going to come out of who you are, what you should be doing. And so for me, I was just thinking like, God, you know, I, I always feel so regretful that I didn't follow my gut. When I don't follow my gut, I always feel so regretful because I can always come back and go, you freaking knew it. Like, are you kidding yeah. me? You know? Yeah. I've spent decades of my life in that exact realm, knowing that, mm -hmm. oh, me too. why is this happening? I'm quote unquote better than this. I can do more <laughs> than this. Why yeah. isn't my external life reflecting what I in, in intellectually know? Yeah. And then slowly but surely I make the changes. And then here we are on the Hidden Entrepreneur podcast, which the brand came out of me, you know, wiping my hands and saying, okay, no more of that. Let me take ownership. Let me take responsibility. Let me see the truth of everything I'm doing and I'm creating. Uh, it's nobody else's fault. I need to understand yeah. what I'm creating for myself and change it because we are all equipped powerfully and lovingly and full of light. Yes, absolutely. And that's, and that's so true. And we cover our light. I know that people who know me intimately and personally can literally know when I am in my light and when I am in my dark and they'll be like, what's up with you? Like, you're not you today, but when I'm in my light, people are like, I, I attract so many people because I am that person. Like I can have people walk up to me in the social setting and be like, I don't know. I just want to say hi. Like, I don't know what it is about you. I just want to say hi, you know? And I'll be like, That's my true. friends will look at me. I'll be like, sorry, it's a vibe. You know, like I just, I attract I attract people who want to, who maybe have that same energetic, you know, intuition and they just want to meet me or they, and I'm not saying that to be like, you know, no. oh, look at me at all. We all do. We because all I'm, I'm more like, please don't, you know, like I'm, I'm more of, I'm actually more of an introvert than it seems. But uh, lately I've just been like, wow, truly trying to examine the introvert through versus the extrovert. Because when you write a book like this, you're very public. i I give away a lot of personal stories and only recently it came to me that that is something that anybody who wants to know me will actually go and maybe read and before they even know me. And it really set me back because I was like, Oh my God, like I want them to know me right now, this me, but it's too late. So I have to really decide that I'm really in a realm right now where I'm like, what is my message? How do I want to get it out there without giving away Kathy? It's really been an interesting process. This has just been happening for me for like the last month. I'm like, oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree with all of that. I mean, we are all a ball of energy. We all attract the energy that we put out. And when you said that we, we, um, we dim our light 
that's the that's the whole basis for my brand, the hidden entrepreneur, because that's me acknowledging exactly what I did for so much of my life. I hid all the best parts yeah. of myself in all situations because of fear, fear of everything. And here I am seeking the approval of everybody else thinking that, okay, this is how I'm going to make it work. I got to please everybody. I got to do and say what I think they want to hear and how they want me to be and be that person to, you know, make them feel better. I mean, oh, I'm just, just talking about it is making me want to vomit. <laughs> For sure. I get it. Yeah. You, uh, you brought up, um, you were verbally abused, you said. Tell me about that. So verbal abuse is really a platform of mine because uh, I've lived it not only at work, but I also accepted it in the relationship that I was in. And uh, what, when, when all this Me Too and all this stuff came out, I was sitting in my living room thinking, nobody talks about verbal abuse and the effect that words can have on your psyche or the effect. So what happened at work was, you know, you're incompetent. You're too old. We need somebody fresh out of college. You know, and I had been there for 15 years and this like 27 year old, you know, entrepreneur came in daddy's golden spoon son and started harassing women. Mm. And I sat there in a very high position, making a bank load of money. And, you know, for where I live, I made more money than a lot of women in my area. And all these women would come in and say, you know, I can't take it. I can't take this guy. Like he's called me this or he's done that. And I would go to his father and I would tell him and they would get fired. And I watched that happen seven times over a course of a year. And I finally really grappled with my integrity so much because I knew that it was wrong, but I also knew that I was accepting it in other areas of my life. And so I went to his dad and I said, that's it. If this doesn't change, I'm calling the labor board. Like we're done. You know? Wait, I'm, I'm sorry, who was fired? The people on the receiving end of the verbal so, abuse? Yeah, so every time they would complain and I would take it to his dad, a week or two would go by and then they'd get fired for some reason. Oh, the reason. person who complained. Oh my Yeah, so goodness. that happened with wow. women seven times. Wow. Over a course of a year. I was not the target. I was like the lady that they could talk to that didn't do anything about it. And so I really grappled with my integrity on the subject. So then uh, when I finally said, that's it, I got fired the next day. <laughs> and I had been there for 15 years. I was making a bank load of money. And, um, but, but during that year before that, I be also became the target. So that I have to backtrack a little bit. So when I complained, I became the target when I said that's enough after I was sort of every day, the kid, I mean, one time I even put him on speakerphone for the whole office. I was just like, he, he would call me up and just rage. And I would be like, finally, I put him on speakerphone and was like, here you go. Yeah. Love it. Let's play. Let's play. Yeah, go ahead. And so, uh, I, that didn't go on very well, but, um, so then when I finally said, I can't do this anymore. And if I can't work for him, so you're going to have to switch this up fully thinking I would have the support of this man that I'd worked for for 15 years. And he knew how much I'd given up for my life to be with him, you know, work with him. And the next day he called me up and he said, yeah, you're not coming back. You're fired. I didn't even get to go back and clean out my office. I didn't, like, I just was done. Then I took a few years off to reevaluate my life. <laughs> and, you know, I was handsomely rewarded financially so that I could 
Uh, I can't really talk about it, but I basically had enough that, you know, I could take two years off. And so I did. And then I had to deal with the verbal abuse in other areas of my life that I was denying, which was my home life. And I had to make some changes on that. So it was really like hitting me. So why it's my platform is because I think that people don't realize the effects emotional abuse has on your psyche, your self-esteem, your self-confidence, your self-respect, like all those things that it hits, you don't know until you're out of it, how damaging it really was for you, how your confidence level can slip. Like after the job, I was like, who's going to want me to work for them? You know, after the relationship, who's going to want me? You know, I took this abuse and I'm like that girl, you know, and it was a really hard time. It's been a really hard time for me to grapple. But like I was telling you in the beginning, like now that I'm free of all of it, like I'm so happy. (laughs) Because I don't walk on eggshells. And that's what we do. We walk on eggshells. We try not to piss somebody off. We try to walk in and have a nice day at work. Or, you know, we try to go home and not make sure that, you know, the person at home is going to be happy. And you live in this constant state of fight or flight during the entire time. And that fight or flight is what absolutely taxes your cellular level body. And that's when I would feel sick, you know, because I knew that I was fight or flight all the time. I'm either going to fight back and defend myself or I'm going to run from this problem. It's a really trippy time. Yeah. And, and I'm so glad you brought up verbal abuse in the age of so much horrific abuse coming to the surface. But like you said, rarely is, is verbal abuse. And I, I, it, it, it just seems like it's so rampant in. It's not a crime. It's not a crime, but it <laughs> is a crime because. It's fascinating. Yeah. It's like a hidden bruise. Like you can't walk into the courtroom with your pictures of your heart or your self-esteem being hurt. You can only tell somebody. And if they don't see it and they see a person that's like respected and, you know, blah, 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 like they don't know. It's a hidden bruise. And I know I, I once watched a video that cemented the whole thing for me and they, in middle school, and this can stem all the way back to bullying when you're younger, you know, and I was a mean girl. So for me, that was a really hard thing to grapple. Like in high school, I was like that popular girl that, you know, everybody was like, Oh yeah. And that, if you weren't my friend, you weren't cool. You know, I had that group, but at, at the end of the day, that's so not me, but you know, when you're growing up, you're different. But in middle school, they put in a glass case, it's a video you can find two plants and in the, in the plant, there was a recorder. And one recorder said, oh my God, you're so beautiful. Your leaves are so luscious. Your dirt is the nicest thing. Look at how you grow. Look at, oh, and they played symphonic music and they did like beautiful things. And on the other side, the message was, you're never going to grow. You're a shriveled piece of crap. Da-da-da-da-da. Mm. Nobody's going to like you. You're the worst thing in the world. And they would send that message. And in the course of a month, this plant shriveled, got the same amount of water, and this plant thrived. A plant. A plant. You can find this video on Facebook somewhere. In fact, it's on my page somewhere. But I watched that video and I was like, that's it. When you're verbally abusing somebody, you are stifling them. You are pushing them into the ground and you are destroying their very core. But it is not a crime to do that to people. It's a crime for, you know, harassing somebody sexually at work. It's, uh, it's if you are domestic violence and you hit somebody, it's a crime. But if you make somebody chip away at their spirit over time with your words, not a crime. It is to me, but it's not a crime to the world. Wow. 
and and I I, I know um, how prevalent all that is, even in the privacy of our homes. You gave an example yeah. of at work, no better. Uh, the difference, obviously, we're dealing with with adults here versus a an adult child relationship. And gosh, now just thinking about it, verbal abuse has to come in so many colors, so many variations. Even just like, get out of here, leave me alone. You're so annoying. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh my. God. Yeah, like why am I annoying? You know, right. Like, well, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm annoying I'm, too, so I get it. <laughs> I'm looking at myself in the mirror. Like I've, uh, I, I've been told that so much of my life as a, you know, that's uh, as a young child. Like, hey, I, I, I just want to get, I just want to get heard. Like, just ask right, me what I right. think once in a while. Uh, but it's, uh, I've, I've come a long way. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I still annoy people when I sing, but other than that, I'm probably less annoyed. <laughs> and I'm sure, and I'm sure you're okay with it now. You're like, hey, mm -hmm. I'm singing. If you don't like it, okay. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Looking, looking back on your life, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh gosh, the biggest advice I would give. There's so many, and I actually do do list some of them in the book uh, of what I would have done different. And it's the chapter called regret. Mm -hmm. uh, so my younger self would never people please. I would never people please. I would never change who I am to make somebody else. It's, that's a double-edged sword. I am the kind of girl that will do anything for anybody if they're you know, like I might say, okay, I'm not going to go out tonight because you need me. Like, I'm not talking about that. Sure. I'm talking about like changing who you are to make someone else's life more comfortable. Not being there for them because that's a different thing. And, and, and we're all there for the people we love if we're that person. But if I have to stop a career or stop a trip or stop a friendship or stop, you know, um, to make somebody else's life better then I'm just, you know, taking away from me. So I would do that. I would listen to my elders and my grandparents, especially I would learn everything that I possibly could. I would learn three foreign languages. Like I would like younger self would be so much more expansive than I was because I was more worried about how did I look? Was I popular? You know, who likes me? Do I have a boyfriend? You know, that kind of, I, I went that route. And I always wished that my parents would have picked me up by the shirt tail and said, you're going to a boarding school where there's girls only, you know, like, and you're going to learn all that. You're going to learn how to play the piano and you're going to learn Spanish and French and you're going to travel to Europe when you're 18 and you're going to go to college. But I didn't have that family because they were just a hardworking family. But, but that's what I would do different if I could go back. It's so funny because truth be told, uh, you know, I have a five-year-old daughter right now, three-year-old son, but in regards to my daughter who, I mean, you know, she's sassy, she's going to be dangerous, whatever, you know, like, like I already see like, oh my God. <laughs> girls are just sassy. Girl. You got to know. Yeah. We're just sassy. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and like my wife will look at me and say those exact things. She's like, um, we're putting Danica in boarding school. We're going to give her an all education. I'm like, we are? I was like, no way. Send her yes, to yes. public school. Let her experience. I'm like the bohemian in the relation he's like are you crazy we're gonna lock her up we're gonna yeah. make sure that she you know follows this path she's gonna be this occupation i'm like let her choose no that's so funny because i i that is really something that i was like i wish my parents would have like 
picked me up by the shirt tail and said, no, 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 no. You're not going down this path. Boys later. Yeah. Boys. Oh God. So much. Yeah. Wow. So there's something to be said for what my wife's saying. You're saying. I'm just saying, wife, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> what mantra do you live by today? What mantra do I live by today? One day at a time. One day at a time. Yeah. I'm a thinker beyond what I, I, I'm a thinker. So a lot of times people might just think I'm just sitting chilling, but my mind is always going. And I can create scenarios that are 100% not real as if they are. Like, I'll be like, oh, of course this is going to happen. Well, this is how he feels. This is what he's doing. This is, you know, she, whatever. So I try now really hard to just wake up every day and say, thank you for another day. I don't know what it's going to bring. You know, I know what I have to do, but I don't know what today's going to bring. And I always just say that anything can happen in a day. Anything great can happen in a day. So if I'm worried about tomorrow that isn't even foreseen, then I'm wasting. Oh, did I lose you? Sorry. No, you're there. You're there. Um, and, um, and so that's really what I do. I just say one day at a time, you know, I kind of always say the serenity prayer, even though I've, I'm not in a program, I've never been in the program, but that prayer has always hit me because we don't know what the day is going to bring. So if you just grant me this serenity for today, like it's everything. So that's really my biggest, if I could take away for everybody one day at a time, don't plan your future but plan for the unexpected because you just never know when someone's going to walk into your life and change it or whether something's going to change, uh, you know, because there's a fire or you just never know. So just take it one day at a time. And it's so much easier. It's easier on your psyche. You brought up a good topic and point about um, thinking. Uh, and I know that excessively can become uh, detrimental and send you in a spiral of fear and anxiety. But you're talking about thinking, it sounds like, in the regard of to think properly about the future that you want and what you want to attract. Yeah, I think that's really important. Like I, I do a future journal. So I future journal. What is I'm that? You, yep. It works like a charm. Uh, I write down things that I want to happen as if they've already happened. So I would like, if I want something to happen, I will date it a month from now. Like, like right now this morning, I wrote something that I want to happen by January 18th. I'm not going to share. but <laughs> So I, I write it as if it already happened and I date it. And I can tell you that a couple of weeks ago I did this and I didn't remember I did it. And I was going through my, future journal and I opened this page to October 25th or whatever of the date that I'd written and it had happened and I was like oh my god that's right the future journal works <laughs> so that's what I do I write it out as if it already happened and I live like it already happened because the thing is you know I mean I can get really deep here because I was with Deepak Please Chopra do. I was uh, at 1440 University it's which is a retreat center in, in Northern California it's an amazing place and Deepak Chopra was one of the guests. And he was talking about how really life is made up of hours. And the hour that just happened is like you just had a dream. 
right? It was like, if you think about your dreams at night, this is so deep. So you, you think about your dreams, your body is having that experience in your dream, like it happened. And when you remember that dream, you're like, oh yeah, I did this last night, you know? And you lived it like it was real. And he said, that is what life is. Like life, that hour before, you know, the hour before this interview happened, that's a dream now. I don't even have to think about that hour because I'm in this hour. And he said, if you're living in the hour, the next hour, like it hasn't even happened yet. You have no idea. So then you're just predicting a future that isn't even real. So every hour of your life is like being in a dream and you're just walking through it. And it's, you just embrace that hour of the dream. And I was sitting there going, oh my God, that's so true. So yeah, true. I, I, I love that. I, I live as, as much as possible in that world. I'm on a um, Eckhart Tolle kick. I'm mm -hmm. the, Huge inspiration for me, for sure. Yeah, the power of now. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's what it is. It's just, that's really mind-blowing, mind-opening. And it's the same thing uh, you were just talking about, that the only thing that exists, and really the only thing that will ever exist is now now like the future does not exist because when you get there it's now yeah. and, right so it, <laughs> that's right it, we're going deep josh yes. like for sure like that is it that well is, that's the deal concept. and when you when you can grasp that concept even just a little bit it sort of opens things up because you're like huh okay i get it so now that's all we got and like you said the hour before past done the, the, the hour in, in the future, it's the future. Forget about it. I mean, plan for it, but live according to yeah. now. And that feels so good. And I wanted to share another tidbit that I got from him from that. It's off topic, but it was one of the most profound things I ever heard. And he said, if you want to be happy for the rest of your life, give up being right. Drop the mic. I'm like, give up being right. He's like, just give up being right. Like everyone's got their own opinions. Everyone's got their own perceptions. Everyone's got their own ideals. Why do you need to be right? Like you just let them have their truth. You have your truth and you move through life together or separate or whatever. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh my, because I was going through something where I was like justicely thinking I was wronged. And I was thinking, oh my God, that's how simple that is. And it really left me take a lot of baggage off of my back that day. I was just like, drop the mic. We're good. Don't need to be right. I'm okay. Move on. I, <laughs> I love that. Really takes us down the, the path of ego, right? Yeah. That's what it's yeah. about. Too. Yeah. I don't live in ego. I, I mean, of course we all do. But recently I had read a quote that really hit for me and it was like, don't be afraid to be vulnerable and tell people how you feel or don't be afraid to, because ego doesn't know the soul. So if you're having a connection with somebody and you're fearing a conversation or you're fearing telling them your feelings or you're fearing, you know, like telling them I love you or whatever it is that you want to do, that's your ego. Because the truth is, even if you look like a stupid idiot, it doesn't matter because you're telling your truth and that's a soul to soul connection. And once I read that, I was like, that's how I want to start living. Cause I don't always live that way. I'm more of a hold back. Don't tell you your feelings, you know, kind of person. Um, keep your cards close to your, you know, chest and head down. Don't let anybody show, you know, don't show your cards. I've always been that way. And I'm starting to evolve into a person that's just like, yeah, this is who I am. This is who I feel. This is what it is. We're good. <laughs>
like me, don't like me. I don't care. You know, the girl with the emoji, like whatever. Do you believe that everything happens for a reason? Oh God. I used to very much think that. And I don't think it in the way because how do I say this? So many things happened to me that were unreasonable in the last year. I kind of, we touched on that in the beginning and I'm, we're not touching on it, but that I was like, there's no reason for this. Like I couldn't find the reason maybe at the end of it. But what I do believe is that nothing is random and that nobody is sent to us by accident. Like people come into our life for a purpose and it is about growth and learning. And so the reason thing kind of tripped me up this year. So I kind of changed it to just say, I don't know what the reason for this is because this ain't feeling very good for me right now. But I know in the end of the day, I'm going to be able to connect the dots. And it's actually, I have, I'm working on a book right now called The Happy Mistake. And what it is, is about basically those dots that connected and you thought you made this huge mistake in your life, but it actually led you here. And if you didn't meet this person there, you wouldn't have this child here and you wouldn't have, you know, this job over here. And so I was inspired uh, and started writing this summer. Uh, I spent a lot of time by myself and, and then I was like, oh yeah, this is my next book, but it's going to take me a while to write it. So we'll see what happens. Are you spiritual or religious in any ways? I was raised a Catholic. I had the most uh, Catholic grandmother, you know, do the rosary every day. She lived to 106 years old and she was like the four foot two Italian spit fire of a woman. Uh, so I had a strong Catholic upbringing. Uh, I totally believe in God and powers outside of, of this land, this earth, universal powers. So my spirituality lies in really just love. You know, like I am a firm believer that love heals everything. And I can't always get to love with some people. I'm not going to lie. But when I can let myself say, let's look at this out of the eyes of love. Like if you, let's look at the, the child who's acting, you know, like if an adult is acting crazy, like let's look at the child in that guy and see what it is that is coming up for him. Or so I always try to say, you know, religion. I believe in Jesus. I believe he existed. I believe in God. I believe in, you know, I believe that those events probably happened and that he was a much more spiritually evolved human than we are today because he was able to feed the, you know, masses and do the things that the Bible said. So I believe all that, but I believe in a higher plane of love. I really do. Just love. Hard as it is sometimes to love some people. <laughs> You touched upon this a little bit, but I want to hear it in this context. What do you believe happens when it's all over, when our time here on earth comes to an end? I believe that you just hire at a, you operate at a higher frequency. I don't believe you're dead, you're gone, you're ashes, you're it. I believe that spirit raises. I believe there's an, a higher uh, physical plane of existence and I only because I, that day when my mom died and I felt three feet off the ground, I mean, I literally felt like I was walking on clouds. No, I can't explain it to anybody unless you've ever experienced it. You'll never know. And it was a lighter feel. I also have heard that they operate at a, that the other side operates at speed frequency. So like, you know, the, the frequency is so fast on the other side that, that Aunt Belle can get over to me and then get back over to brother if she needs to, you know. And I've also had enough psychic readings where I recently had one in August where this woman 
had somebody from the other side that I loved when I was 15 years old who died very young and we had a super, super strong connection and he came through and I'm telling you, he knew things that only were in my head, like only in my head. And, and, and it was just the simple thing. Like I collect heart rocks and I collect hearts. I just randomly have always collected hearts wherever I went. I'm just that girl. And I didn't want to do it anymore. And I was standing in Target to buy things to decorate my new home because I had just recently moved. And I was looking at this heart pillow and I was like, yeah, no, we don't collect hearts anymore. Not buy it. I actually did end up buying it. But fast forward four weeks and I have this reading and this person camps in and he says, she says, he wants me to tell you it's okay to collect the heart because that shows your heart, who you are, and not to stop being who you are because of this situation that you, you, know, you just went through. And I swear to God, I was like, nobody would have known about me standing in Target by myself to buy this pillow unless you were on the other side and you could feel and hear my thoughts. It was just crazy. So I was like convinced. That really was the one thing that convinced me more than anything that, that exists, that our loved ones can come forth and help us and that we can call on them for things in our life to, for just protection, guidance, whole, you know, warmth, you know, love. Yeah. Mm. Crazy. I will leave you with this final question. Kathy Anello, how would you like to be remembered? Oh, how would I like to be remembered? Um, well, my son says my biggest fault is that I love too hard and I give too much and I always see the good in people before I see the bad. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing. So I would say that I like to be remembered as she had a big heart. She loved with all of it and even past any hurts or anything that would have happened to her. Like she just has the heart. See, the heart, the heart of gold. <laughs> mm. Yeah, just my heart. I would want people to remember that I that I had a big heart. Well, spending the last hour with you, I can see it. I can feel it. I know all of the listeners can too. Thank you, Kathy, for opening up, for sharing, for being you today. Absolute pleasure to connect with you like this today. Oh, this has been such a great interview. Like I could talk to you all day. So thank you very much for having me on the show. I so appreciate it. Oh my goodness, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you tuning in, spending your time. Did I, did I uh, lead you down the right path, opening up, saying it's going to get deep? Did it get deep for you? Do you like where this is going? I hope you found some, some interest in it and some thoughts to ponder and take with you for the better. If you did, let us know. Stay in touch. We're going to link to Kathy's book and her website and all the ways you can get in touch with her in and around this episode. Whew. I'm going gonna, gonna to sit back and just think for a while about all the good that this uh, conversation has brought and all the good that is currently in my now. We're going to do this again before too long. Until we do, thank you for spending your time and go get them. 
Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.